Welcome to Doggy Dish, where two of LA's best dog trainers serve up a hearty helping of dog topics. At the end of this podcast, we'll provide information on how to contact our trainers. And now, here they are. Hi, this is Kim Reinhardt of Ain't Misbehaving Canine. And Laura Berheny from Animal Attraction Unlimited. Welcome to our podcast. Today we're going to talk about leadership versus dominance. Uh, yes, there's a difference. Yes, there really is a difference. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, since I'm a big leadership trainer, it just drives me crazy because I keep getting kind of clunked in with a particular dog trainer who's on television who does a lot of dominance stuff. Right. And it's making me crazy. So it's one of the reasons that I was very interested in covering this subject. Okay. So why don't you start? Okay. Well, I think that uh, the hardest thing for me when I'm out working with people is the fact that they think, because I talk about leadership, that what I'm talking about is dominance. And so as soon as I talk about something to do with leadership, they say, oh, because he's being dominant. And so I just want to make something really, really clear. Dominance, for me, is about setting up like a struggle between you and your dog. It's something that we're both trying to win. So dominance is like there's this big prize, which is, I guess, being the boss. And I'm trying to win it from my dog. And it's like a contest between the two of us. And mm-hmm. it's set up with a lot of, well, rough behavior, rough, aggressive things that you do to try to win dominance from your dog. And for me, leadership is about being a partner to my dog, but being the person who understands how all of this works. And so being the one who supplies him with the information that he needs to negotiate his world well. Because his, he happens to live in my world. Right. And I, I look at leadership as guidance. You're there to guide your dog, just like you would be to guide your child. This is where we go. This is what we do. This is what is acceptable, socially acceptable. This is this is what's okay, what's not okay. Your job is to be educational, not punitive. And when you go into the dominance part, it becomes it turns into intimidation and punitive. A struggle. And it doesn't need to be a struggle. Yeah, it's a conflict. It's a constant conflict with what is supposed to be your best friend. That's right. Leadership is more about being in partnership with somebody, but being the one who happens to know how to get through it all. And so with my dogs, I definitely practice leadership with my dogs. And mine is definitely the last word. But mine isn't just the last word. It's also the first word and the inter- and the interim words. It's the information. I'm the one who provides the information that allows my dogs to get through things successfully. And if we were living out in a dog's world, they would probably be giving me the information. But yeah. we're living in a human world. And so you're right. Using Saying that it's similar to a parent-child relationship, even though we recognize, we both recognize that they aren't humans, but saying that it's that way is the same because it's not about a power struggle. Not until they hit their teenage years. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> then there might be a little dominance. I don't know. I don't have kids, so I'm not even going to go there. But the point is, there's a huge difference between those two concepts. And when you try to put them together, what you end up doing is taking a leadership concept, which is really helpful and designed to create a good working relationship between you and your dogs, and you turn it into a fight. And it shouldn't be. Your dog should trust you. Under every single circumstance, your dog should trust you. And how can he trust you if you're spending all of your time and every interaction you have with your dog is about intimidation and dominance? 
Right. The other thing that I think people don't understand is the reason that we need to provide leadership is because the dog needs leadership. Our dogs come into our world, and they're dropped into a world where they don't speak the language, and all the technologies are foreign, and everything they don't really understand about moving cars and stoves that are hot and all these different things that could potentially harm them. And we do. So we hold those keys of, of knowledge in our hands. And so we can help them get through this safely. Dogs that step up into a leadership position do so not so much because they're fighting for dominance, but because in their view, somebody has to lead in order to get us through this successfully. There is truth that they are a pack animal. And so somebody has to take a leadership position and think our way through this. Somebody has to try to be the one who steps up and takes a leadership position. But there's a difference between that and fighting for dominance. And I tell, you know, I tell my clients this all the time, especially clients who have fearful dogs. If they don't step, because people, quite often people who have fearful dogs tend to mm, coddle the dog, not ask the dog to do things. They tend to try to build a big safety net around the dog instead of making the dog step up and have certain requirements to live in their house. And when they do that, when they do make the dog do something and say, look, these are required of you. I don't care if you're if you're afraid. You still have to sit at the door when I tell you. I'm still going to ask you to to sit for petting or ask for permission before you come up on the couch, those sorts of things. You're still going to get a no answer sometimes. Right. Yes. Right. But the thing is, is that you still have to require something of these dogs, and that will help build their confidence... And not only that, but like you said, somebody has to be in charge. In the dog world, somebody has to be in charge. And if you aren't in charge, even the most fearful dog will step up and try to take that role because you aren't. And the the unfortunate thing about that is is that they're being put in a position that they shouldn't be in, that they're not comfortable being in. And when they get into that position, there's this adrenaline boost that hits them, and they end up going overboard, like fearful dogs at the front door. Which is why I think frequently people mistake it for dominance, because they think because the dog acts out in a seemingly almost aggressive or uh, manic manner, that the dog must be fighting for dominance. But the truth is, the dog is simply desperate to make something happen, and that is making somebody be in charge, making making there be a leadership position. So a lot of times when you take a dog like that and you assert your leadership over them, you will get a bit of a, a backlash or a struggle to that. They will not necessarily hand it over to you instantly. But it's not about dominance. It's not about the dog wanting to be in charge. It's about the dog doubting your abilities because you haven't you shown haven't, any. Right, you haven't proven yourself up till now. To show and any. so why should you just go, okay, now you take the lead because, like you said, you haven't shown it. And in their life vision, in their vision of the world, somebody has to be in charge or we're imperiled. Right. Or we're in trouble here. We could... We could get hurt. We could, you know, we could not survive if somebody doesn't. I mean, that's just the way it works when you're in a cooperative species where people look for leadership also. This is just something yeah, that... Yeah, don't it, we have a president? Absolutely. People look for leadership. I mean, any time that you have animals that live in a social hierarchy or a social setting, not hierarchy, you do have leaders, but it's not necessarily about dominance. Laura, what's... You're much more familiar with the scientific parts of this than I am. So what is how is dominance defined by, say, the scientific community or the dog training community, scientific part of the dog training community? It's defined by 
individuals who are vying for resources such as rest, you know, optimal resting places, food, and mating. Mm-hmm. And okay, so maybe I want the bed, and I don't want my dog to have the bed. But in reality, it that doesn't apply to a human-dog relationship. Because leadership isn't about that. Leadership is about stepping up and showing the dog that you are the one who makes the decisions. And there's a difference between that and dominance. Right, but dominance doesn't apply to a human-dog relationship either. I I mean, the the definition of dominance doesn't apply. No, I know that. Because I'm not competing with my female dog for that cute little guy over there. Right, but I think that people get confused because of the thing. Because of what you just used, the the instance that you just used where, okay, well, maybe I don't want my dog on my bed. Therefore, it could be thought of incorrectly that, well, I'm applying a dominance theory because it's my bed, it's not your bed, therefore you're not going to take it. But the difference is that in a leadership situation, you also decide where your dog is going to sleep. It's about information. It's about helping them get through it successfully, and it doesn't necessarily mean a fight. In fact, it doesn't mean a fight. Right. And, you know, I personally don't care if a dog sleeps on the bed or not. As long as as long as they're not a resource-guarding dog that already has some behavior issues. I, you know, I mean, if it's the kind of dog that you go to, to move them and they turn around and growl at you, there's an issue. Right. So it's like, let's take them off of the bed for now right. and get this solved, and then we will heat. Because it's a privilege he hasn't earned. Right. In the end, though, we assert ourselves as leaders as the one who makes it makes the decisions about those things. But that's different than dominance. It's different than two creatures who are vying for this. Right. You know, in some ways, I think I read something, um, it may have been something that Ian Dunbar wrote. But anyway, I read something that, you know, basically, I didn't read the whole thing, so I apologize if I misquote. But the idea was that he didn't believe that there was such a, that leadership played a such strong, a strong role in dog training. And I didn't read the whole thing, so he may have gone on to really clarify that point. But the point that he made in the very beginning that I did read <laughs> was, we are the leaders because we're the ones who know how to open up the doors. We have opposable thumbs. And, and yeah, but, but, <laughs> but more important to our dogs because our right. dogs don't think of our opposable thumbs. That's what, what we think about it. We're the ones who know how to get to everything. We do control the resources. You don't think they have opposable thumb envy? <laughs> they don't look at us and go, I wish I had a set of those. Claire, do you have a possible thumb in? Uh, she says no. No, I don't think so. But <laughs> she's actually, you know what she said? What are opposable thumbs? Right. <laughs> but the thing is, we're the ones who know how to access everything. We're the ones who understand everything. The problem, I think, arises when we put our dogs in a position where we don't do a good job with it. And we don't show our ability to capably handle this responsibility that we have that we automatically have of having access to everything and being the one who holds the keys to the kingdom. Right. So and that's, well, see, and that's what I tell my clients. I say, you know, well, like doorways. Everybody says, oh, and I've been getting this so much lately. I say, well, what does your dog have to do to live in your house? Well, he has to sit at the door and wait for me to go out, and then he's allowed to come out. And I say to them, okay, well, how practical is that? You want to let your dog out to go to the bathroom. It's 36 degrees outside and pouring down rain. Are you really going to step out the door first before your dog just to prove a point? 
I mean, I don't care who goes out the door first. What I care about is who decides who goes out the door first. I was just say, 90% of the time, I'm going to put my dogs out ahead of me. But, the key but they is, have to wait. And not only that, but they can't just sit and wait at the open door, staring out the open door, going, I'm going to go outside, I'm going to go outside, I'm going to go outside. They have to look at me. They have to make eye contact with me. They have to check in with me before I will release them to go outside. Right. And see, for me, I'm the same way. Most of the time I send the dogs in and out of the door mm-hmm. in front of me. When Absolutely. I'm outside and I bring my dogs home, there's several of them. So I want them to go in so that I know I don't have any stragglers. I want to do the count as they go by. But the thing is, the real kicker to that is, or the key to that is, I can decide who goes in first and right. who goes out first. I'm the one who makes those decisions. So if I'm stepping outside and I don't want them to go out in front of me, let's say I'm going out the front door and I don't want them to go out in front of me because at my house you can't really see up the block. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of walk to the end of the drive to see up the block. I can leave them on a, I can tell them to stay at the door. I don't even have to put them in a sit or anything. I just tell, tell them to stay at the door, walk out, look to see what's going on and release them from there. But the point is I'm the one who decides. Right. It, it is not about me dogmatically insisting that I go out the door at all times right. first. It's about them acknowledging that I'm the one who makes the decisions. And they're looking at you the whole time. They aren't getting distracted. They aren't wandering awa- around away from the door. I tell people, you know, you and are the gatekeeper. Me. And I'm not required to stand there and guard them. Right. Right. Yeah, because you can walk away, and they're staying there. And you know that when you turn around and look back at them, that they're going to be looking at you for we're waiting for her to to say something. Mm -hmm. And so, like I tell my clients, you know, you are the gatekeeper. That makes you the good guy. It doesn't make you the bad guy. People think that dominance is about being the bad guy and being dominating and intimidating and and keeping your dog, preventing your dog from having fun. And being himself, whereas I say, you know what, if you are the gatekeeper, if you hold the keys to everything that your dog likes, that automatically puts you in charge. And that makes you the good guy, not the bad guy, because it's through you that your dog gets all the things that he wants. That's right. That's right. And that he, that's, that's exactly it, that he gets to do the things that he wants to do when he's told he can. Right. That he, or he's given access to the things that he wants when you are giving them to him. Right. I agree. And, you know, part of my problem with the whole dominance idea is that, to me, it seems to set you up automatically to become pretty punitive or violent. Nasty. Yeah. Just nasty. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite phrases is, my goal in life is to be the person my dogs think I am. Right. Because I don't want my dogs thinking of me as some domineering bitch. Right. Really, I don't. I want them looking at me like, there she is. Look, there she is. She's the person I trust the most in the world. And that's one of the reasons that I stopped using choke chains for training. Mm -hmm. Was because it just always seemed off to me that the only place my dog felt pain was standing next to me. Well, I mean, but really, during during training. Within within a two-foot radius of me, that's the only place that my dog got a correction. Well, and the thing is, Dominance, to me, it just encourages a physical resolution to a problem. Mm -hmm. That whole idea of dominance encourages you to get physical to get the job done. Right. And I think that when you've applied correct leadership, which means controlling the resources, which means in the end, I mean, the way I establish leadership with a dog is I just continue to push my point until I get it. Right. So if it means blocking them or 
or stopping them from something, I just continue to do it until they let it go. Right. And then I reward that. But the thing is, that's about leadership. It's not a physical fight. Yeah. It is perhaps me blocking them and perhaps me waiting for them to give in to that point, but it's not about me physically taking it over. Right. It's just about being more tenacious than they are. Right. Because what happens, like if you're if you're going to go by this dominance thing, and I had this happen once with a client. I get there, and they had read a book about alpha rolling your dog, and they had a four- or five-month-old mastiff, English mastiff. So this dog already weighed almost as much as the woman. I mean, the woman was a petite woman. And so they had been alpha rolling this dog. And I get there, and, you know, he was stealing things. He was, you know, counter surfing. And they had been, this poor dog, they had been alpha rolling him for every little indiscretion. And again, a four or five month old dog who is doing puppy things like taking socks and running around and just basically being a dog. Which has nothing to do with dominance. Or even leadership. Right, frankly. right. He's being a dog. And so he they were. mistakes. Yeah. He's making that, mistakes. That they obviously were not good enough leaders to prevent. So, or, or to be clear about how to negotiate better. Right, right. Yeah. So they, they basically left him on his own until he got into trouble and then they would just alpha right. roll him. And I said to them, looking at the size of this. English Mastiff and the size of this woman and the man wasn't much bigger than this lady and I said so what happens the day that you put this dog on his back and sit on him and he doesn't submit what do you do right I mean you're sitting on this dog that is telling you when you get up honey you're dead right because he's not submitting and they looked at each other and they looked at me and the woman says well that happened last night I had to call him in to help sit on him in order for him to submit. And this was for something stupid like taking a sock. And I said, look, and I explained the whole thing to them about when you do something like that to your dog, basically you're saying, I'm going to kill you. You're going to kill this dog over a sock? Right. And this dog is going to be 250 pounds? Even if the dog wasn't processing it as, I'm going to kill you, in the end, you're setting up this contentious, competitive relationship between you and your dog. And I, I just have to wonder, is does anybody think, if given the choice between a competitive relationship, a competitive contesting relationship, you know what I'm saying, where, where it's continuously fighting to get things, mm-hmm. versus a cooperative, willing relationship, right. when you have the choice between those two, why would you ever in a million years choose to have the one that's filled with struggle and and fighting against each other right. as opposed to one that is willing and and based on trust yes and receptive and, right and i mean yeah think about it if you had a boss if you have a real job unlike the jobs that kim and i have <laughs> if you have a boss and you <laughs> i have a boss i can't stand her <laughs> she makes me get out of bed every I've, freaking morning earlier I've, than i want to <laughs> I've heard things about her, really. I have. I have. We won't name names, Kim. But, okay, so if you have a boss and your boss hovers uh, over you. Way, folks. Yeah, and your boss hovers over you uh-huh. to try to get you to do things and just makes nasty face and points his finger in your face every time he wants you to do something, how likely, number one, are you to do it quickly? Maybe you'll do it quickly because you're, because you're intimidated. How likely are you to do it well? Or willingly. To the best of your ability. To the best of your ability. And willingly. Uh And happily. 
And without any kind of then nasty or passive-aggressive feelings towards him later. Well, and how easy is it going to be if you are the subordinate in that situation to access your best, most creative, uh, most productive thinking even? Because in in reality, you're so overshadowed by this oppressive feeling Mm -hmm. that it's going to be difficult for you to rise to your best self anyway. Right, and then you feel like you're walking on eggshells afraid that you're going to do something wrong at any minute. And distracted. And right. distracted from your task right. by your concern over what is going to happen, what the repercussions are going to be. Yeah. So, in all honesty, you're right. It just, to me, it's frustrating because of frequently, you know, I am a relationship-based trainer. That's I make this big deal about being a relationship-based trainer, and that's how I think of myself. And yet, I know I get tied in with a particular trainer who is on TV and talks continuously about dominance, and basically, is all about repressing and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oppressing. Right. Dogs. And it's frustrating because that is not what leadership is about. Leadership, from my perspective, is about feeding information frequently enough that the dog knows that you're always going to have an opinion. That's what I tell people. My dogs always know I'm going to have an opinion about something. And so every time something new comes up, they look at me and they go, well, what are we going to do here? It's not that they can't think for themselves, but they know I'm always going to weigh in. That you always have the answer. <laughs> but No, but they know I will always weigh in. And since they know I will always weigh in, when they're presented with something that might create, if they were left to their own devices, it might they might have to, on the fly, come up with something to do. And it might be something that I wouldn't want them to do, like right. bite somebody if they were really scared. Right. But they'll look at me for leadership. They look at me because they know that I frequently am weighing in on what's happening and helping them to negotiate things. It makes me a helper. Right. It doesn't make me, yes, I am the boss, but it makes me a helpful boss. It makes me someone that they can trust, that they can go to, that they know will not leave them hanging without any way to succeed. Yeah. And it's a positive thing. Leadership is positive. Dominance and dominance, that whole dominance idea just seems to me to be set up to be a negative, aggressive, contentious thing. Right. When it creates a relationship with a lot of strife. And I tell people, you know what, you can be a dictator, but be a benevolent dictator. You're making the decisions, but you're not being nasty about it. You're not being an ogre. Right. And by the way, um, because I'm a little bit different, I I do. She's very different. She's very, very different, folks. Shut up, you. Because uh, this is Kim speaking, and I do add corrections into my training. There are times if my dogs were, my dogs have crazy great recalls. They really do. They have fabulous recalls. But if we were out at a park and something happened and my dogs just decided, no, this is more compelling than you are and I'm going for it, there might be a time when I would step in and give a correction to my dogs, my well-trained dogs, not necessarily my puppy. She's a little bit different because she's not at the same level that the others are. So it's not so much about that. It's about setting it up as a fight because I've worked with my dogs to create the most willing dogs that I can get. Not through intimidation, but through this trust and this leadership and this idea that they know I will be there for them no matter what happens. So it's never it's never a situation where they feel hung out to dry. Right. There's never a time when they feel like they are left on their own and no one's going to help them. That doesn't mean that they don't stay in the yard by themselves sometimes, but my management is good enough that I make sure that when they do have to make decisions on their own, they're not going to be put in a position where they're going to have to make decisions about things they're really unfamiliar with. Of course, something 
amazingly catastrophic or whatever could happen and then it might happen. But the point is that's not the way our life works together. And I think it's the same for you. I mean, I think it's the same. You you are just there for your dogs and they know that you are there to make the decisions. So they look to you to make the decisions. Yeah, because, I mean, similar to you, if something comes up that they're not familiar with or that has happened occasionally but not often enough, and if they, even if they make a decision like, some sound startles them, and like I have a couple of alarm barkers that something startles them, I jump in immediately. Right. I instantly, I go, oh yeah, stop. We don't we don't need to go there. Right. I don't let them bark for five minutes and then tell them to stop. Me too. I tell them instantly. Like if there's a squirrel up in the tree or on the wires in the backyard, and two of my dogs go barreling out the dog door, I stop them. Right. From inside the house, I can go, uh-uh, right. and they turn around and come back in. I don't wait for them to get all the way across the yard, and we have a huge yard. I don't wait for them to get all the way across the yard and bark and bark and bark and go to that place before I call them back. Right. And you could equally weigh in on things that are positive. So if your dog is doing something that's positive, you don't have to necessarily join the game to sit on the sidelines and rah-rah it enough to know that you are endorsing it. Right. And so endorsements work the same way. Not only does weighing in and saying, no, that's at off-limits, Does that play an important part in leadership? But endorsing things plays an important part in leadership, too. Right. I think maybe this one is running a bit long. I think maybe we should continue this on another podcast. So, you know what? We're going to make this a little bit of a series, and we will continue with this same subject because I have more to say, and I think you do, too. Yes, I think you have a lot more to say. (laughs) So for now, this is Kim Reinhart with Ain't Misbehaving Canine. And Laura Burhani from Animal Attraction Unlimited. Thank you. You have been listening to Doggy Dish, a podcast series about dog training and other related issues. To suggest a topic for a future segment, please email us at dogdishtopics at yahoo.com. To learn more about our featured trainers, or if you're interested in training for your own dog and you live in the Los Angeles area, you may contact Laura or Kim directly. To speak with Laura, call 818-800-4818 or visit her website at www.petdogtrainer.com. To speak with Kim, call 818-890-1133 or visit her website at www.beagooddog.com. Thank you for listening.